guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. Your voice is so quiet and dainty this evening. Is it? Yeah. Am I not louder now? No, Am I louder fine. now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to get too loud, but you were really, you sounded very quiet today. I didn't feel the enthusiasm. I take this medicine that makes my mouth really dry, and so I'm just trying not to make wet sounds all the time because it's so gross, and I could feel a wet sound coming on, so I was trying trying to help the people, but now my secret's out of the bag. So let's do this, Mandy. Let's just do this. I've gone through enough torture now. So this week, we are talking about a very twisted tale of love and betrayal and the complicated relationships between one man and his family. The crime this week takes place in Garden Grove, California, and that is where we have Googled this city from. Barely. There wasn't a ton. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I told you the one thing I that it made me think of, and you said, don't say that in front of people. So It'll come back. You'll hear it again. Don't worry. I had to use it. I was very (laughs) limited. So the population of Garden Grove is around 170,000 residents as of the 2010 census. Garden Grove is located between Anaheim and Huntington Beach in the southern part of California. SoCal, if you will, and I absolutely will. For those of you like me whose knowledge of California comes solely from two Real Housewives franchises and Los Angeles, Garden Grove lies about 35 miles southeast of LA, and it's just eight miles away from the Pacific Ocean. There are a few notable residents of Garden Grove, including Olympic swimmer Gary Hall and actor and writer Steve Martin, otherwise known as one half of two wild and crazy guys, along with Dan <laughs> Aykroyd. <laughs> I love that you humor me even when you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Melissa. So <laughs> this isn't his best known role, but since we talked about Phil Hartman, I've been on this whole like crazy SNL journey and just watching all the old SNL SNL sketches, so you guys will just have to deal with it. Each Memorial Day weekend, Garden Grove hosts the Garden Grove Strawberry Festival, which accommodates around 250,000 visitors. It's almost twice the size of their town. It's huge, and it's one of the biggest community festivals in the Western U.S. Lastly, Mandy, the song Garden Grove by Sublime from their 1996 self-titled album, Sublime, was named after the city of Garden Grove. And I wanted to end Google the City with quotes from that song, but it turns out <laughs> that song has not the most moms and murdery lyrics. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for sections I could pull out and I was like, I actually cannot do this. This is not going to work, but it's okay. I, I really didn't know. I mean, I don't practice Santeria. I ain't got no crystal ball. <laughs> and if I had a million dollars, I'd spend it all on a joke writer. Thank you, Mandy. <laughs> Okay. This week's stories is another one of those stories that just has a ton of names and different things happening. So we're just going to really jump right into it and try to introduce all these players in this case and hopefully make it easy to follow along with. We've had cases like this before where we've made like a joke that you guys need to get out your pen and paper and take notes and stuff. But this is definitely another one of those kind of cases. There's a lot happening. Linda Bailey Brown was raised by a single mother alongside 10 other siblings. Linda and her siblings were raised with a very poor lifestyle, and they grew up without having a father in the picture. So one of Linda's siblings was a much younger sister that came along later named Patty Bailey, and she is also kind of an important part of this week's story, so that's why I'm mentioning her and not listing off the other 10 siblings. An older man named David Brown lived in the same neighborhood as Linda and her sister Patty. When I say older, I don't mean he was like an old man. I mean, he was just in his 20s and Linda and her sister were still minors at this point. David was born in Phoenix, Arizona in 1952 and was the sixth of eight children. He had a terrible relationship with his mother, but he got along great with his father who worked really hard to cover the living expenses of such a large family. David had his first real girlfriend when he was 15 years old, and by the time he was 16, he was the father to a baby girl that they named Cinnamon. David's relationship with Cinnamon's mother was very, very dysfunctional. He was controlling and preferred when his wife was totally dependent on him. He would tell her that he didn't want her to get a driver's license, and he got mad at her whenever she went and did did it behind his back. So these were the kinds of 
levels of control that he wanted to have over her. Right. The couple had many arguments. Most of them were over David's wandering eye and what she called being oversexed and said that he was just obsessed with other women and legitimately could not stop looking at them all the time. And he would be craning his neck to look at really any woman that passed by, young or old. It didn't matter. He just wanted to look at all of them. This eventually wore her down, but the arguing and hatred between the two of them is what ended up driving them apart. And their little daughter, Cinnamon, went to live with her mom, but she was actually kind of bounced back and forth between the two homes often. At the time of their divorce, David was in his early 20s, but he continued to pursue girls in their teen years. And this was around the same time that he was living in Linda Bailey's neighborhood. David would often be seen outside working on his car, wearing tight-fitting shirts that showed off his muscles. I know exactly what kind of shirt these this is talking about. It reminds me very much of Joey Buttafuoco, like during this time where that's like a- Is it just like the ribbed white tank top? Yeah, but that's what I'm thinking. And I'm just thinking like, I never look at somebody and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see your muscles in that shirt. That's not a thing <laughs> that I've ever thought. But apparently that's like what he was trying to do. But he was actually really popular amongst the girls in the community. One thing that he really enjoyed doing was buying- all the neighborhood girls ice cream and the kids of course they are kids they're minors they really seem to admire him and thought of him as being really the cool guy who was easy to talk to and he was always friendly and being popular amongst teenagers is never really a great thing when you're an adult as an adult i am still terrified to be around teenagers yeah me too i never <laughs> feel less cool than when i'm like standing next to a 17 year old i'm like gosh i'm the worst <laughs> <laughs> but it's safe to say really in this community the parents didn't think that david was as great as their kids made him out to be in fact most of them thought he was a little bit odd because he's you know out there hanging out with kids that are five or more years younger than him in the coming years, David would marry and divorce three more women. He had this reputation of getting together with these younger girls, and as they began to mature into adults, he would leave them to find another young, beautiful woman to take their place, literally young, minors. Linda's mom wasn't opposed to the relationship between her daughter, who at this time was just 15 years old, while David was 24 years old. She believed that David would provide a very charming and comfortable lifestyle, and that was something she was never able to provide for her 11 children. Linda adored David and confided in him, and he had money to really take care of Linda and her siblings, including Patty, who had grown very fond of David, and she actually looked up to him as more of a father figure. This newfound love between Linda and David quickly turned into a marriage. The couple actually tied the knot when Linda was just 17 years old and her mother signed a consent form so that they could be legally married. It wasn't long after that that the two moved into a really beautiful home in Garden Grove, California, and they eventually had a daughter of their own together, and that daughter was named Crystal. Around this same time, Linda's sister Patty was having a lot of trouble at home with their mom. Patty needed somewhere to stay, and Linda offered her home to her with open arms. Patty was around 11 years old at this time, and she had grown up with David as he had been, you know, a part of their neighborhood forever, and now he's married to her sister. Patty trusted David, and as we said before, she kind of looked up to him as a type of father figure. So when Patty moved in, you know, she was very happy, but David was just as happy to have Patty living in the home, and you could possibly say that he was a little too happy about it. Patty was subjected to David's mental and physical abuse, and he would regularly touch the young girl inappropriately and take advantage of her. According to sources, Patty moving in really wasn't the first time that David had abused her in this manner, but it did get much worse when she officially was living with them. Of course, Patty did not really know what was happening at the time. She was very, very young. She was seeking attention. But she was continuously molested by David, who was supposed to be her brother-in-law, but she actually had a little bit of a deeper bond. She felt she, he was more of a father figure. This relationship that Patty had with David eventually led to her as a child believing that she might actually have real feelings of love for him. As we said, this is a man who has helped to shape her and raise her into a young lady, and she has known him the majority of her short life, and he was really the closest person that she could consider a father figure. David would often put into her head that he also had feelings for her. 
This is all so sick. It really is. Because she's just this young child who's getting away from whatever this situation is in her home with her mother, is moving in with her sister and her sister's husband, who are supposed to be her caretakers. And this guy's putting things in her head that they're in love and he's doing these things to her, these committing, you know, molestation, rape, all of that. And she's thinking that he's in love with her. You know, he's saying these things, he's saying those words or whatever, but but really, it's all criminal. Yeah, it's very twisted. So a short time after Patty had actually moved in with Linda and David, because of these troubles that she was having at home, Cinnamon, David's daughter, also needed a place to go for really the same reasons. She wasn't getting along with her mom either and was having problems in school. So David decided to have Cinnamon move in with the rest of them. So we've got this house now with these two newlyweds who are, you know, just starting out. They have a baby together, and now we have these two young girls, Cinnamon and Patty, that are also living there. So the walls are kind of closing in, and things are just getting really tight inside this house. But as an outsider, everything seemed to be going okay, except that David started having all these different medical illnesses. And at one point, he actually lied to his family and told them that he had cancer when he, in fact, did not. But that was not the first time he actually did that. He did that in high school and then eventually just told people that he had been treated and was cured of cancer. So he had kind of a track record of, of just lying habitually about different things that were wrong with him. And there was really nothing ever wrong with him. David was really well known for his mental abuse. And he would often say things to his daughter and stepsister such as, you know, you will do these things for me if you love me, or in comparison to what I've done for you, what I'm asking you to do for me is very small. And these are just a few examples of things that he would say to his family to manipulate them into doing the things that he wanted them to do. And we are going to get into a lot more details of this story after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. While the rest of the country has reached sweater weather, here in Florida, we have to use our imaginations. But thanks to our FabFitFun boxes, it makes pretending it's fall in Florida a whole lot easier. If you aren't familiar with FabFitFun, first of all, welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. Full-size, not the teeny tiny little sample stuff they hand out in the mall kiosks. Plus, it retails for just $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. Getting a FabFitFun box is like Christmas morning every season. I can hardly wait to tear into it and see what fun new beauty or fashion products I receive this time. My favorite thing from my fall box is the bold black and white slim striped wallet by Cut From The Cloth. It holds everything you need in style. I use it as my everyday wallet now, but sometimes I just carry it on its own as a statement piece for an evening out. Another thing I love from my fall box were the Harper and Ari exfoliating sugar cubes. They smell great and they made my skin so soft. These boxes sell out fast, so make sure you sign up for yours today. To get $10 off your first box, go to fabfitfun.com and use coupon code MOMS. Again, for $10 off your first box, go to fabfitfun.com and use promo code MOMS. It's been just about a year since we received our third love bras, and one year later, my third love bra is still the most comfortable and best bra I've ever owned. And that's because 3rd Love cares about what women truly want and need in a bra. They do this by using data points generated by over 14 million women who have taken their FitFinder quiz, and they use this information to design bras with breast size and shape in mind to give you a perfect fit and premium feel. Before I ordered my bra, I took the FitFinder quiz, which only took about a minute, and it's actually a lot of fun. Plus, their fit stylists are there to help you via text, chat, or phone, so you know you're getting the perfect bra just for you. With straps that won't slip and tagless labels, 3rd Love is truly the most comfortable bra you will ever own. Plus, 3rd Love will give you 60 days to wear the bra, wash it, put it to the test, and if you still don't love it, just return the bra to 3rd Love and they will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. With 3rd Love, returns and exchanges are always free and easy. 3rd Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off today. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about how manipulative David really was with the women that were living in his house. And 
behind the scenes of David and Linda's marriage, while he was really busy being a father to his two daughters, he was having this secret relationship with Linda's younger sister, Patty, who was still a minor. Things began to really progress between Patty and David during Linda's pregnancy. At the time, Patty was 16 and she was becoming a young woman, which, as we mentioned before, was really who David would prey on. Patty had already developed these feelings for David. The two kept their relationship a secret for several years to come. By this point, David was already a very successful computer expert and he owned the Data Recovery Inc. in Anaheim, California. The family lived in this wealthier neighborhood in in this home that was decked out in various matching decor. It was clear that the family really did not want for anything. Their home was filled with many luxuries and new furniture. And of course, you know, Patty and Linda growing up really did not have these sort of things. This was a whole new lifestyle for them. At some point in 1983, David began telling Cinnamon and Patty that his wife, which is Patty's sister, Linda, was planning on murdering him. I would love to know how that conversation really goes. Where, How does that start to say, hey, by the way, guys, I'm telling you this secret, but Linda over here, she's trying to kill me. How does that go? Yeah, I really, I don't know how he got, I don't know how he came up with it or how he convinced them of it. It's, all of it is very, but he was like that. He was very manipulative and these girls trusted him and looked up to him. Exactly. I think it's so much that they, they were younger and they looked up to him. And why would he lie about something like that? That's obviously crazy. So David spends years putting these ideas into the children's head and he's telling them both, basically, if he dies, you know, you're going to go back to living a really poor lifestyle. Like, look at all these things I can give you. And if Linda does kill me, all that stuff goes away. So for years to come, he continued to tell these children that really to keep Linda from murdering him, he needs them to murder Linda. And part of the reason that he tells them that Linda wants to murder him is in order to take away his property, his business, and all this money that he had worked so hard for. David originally was really seeking after Patty, his wife's sister, to be the one to carry this out, to actually commit the murder instead of his daughter, Cinnamon. But at the last minute, Patty, you know, basically said, I can't kill my sister. So instead, David actually convinced his daughter, who at this time is only 14 years old, to be the one to murder his wife. David insisted that since Cinnamon was so young, she wouldn't have to serve any jail time and that she would most likely just be required to see a therapist and would walk away mostly scot-free. It was on the night of March 18, 1985, that Linda and David were having an argument at home before they went to bed. David's mom had been over at their house that night, and she was kind of questioning the way Linda was parenting the baby, Crystal. So Linda felt that she didn't need to pick her baby up immediately when she was crying, and she, you know, she was trying to teach the baby some self-soothing techniques. I know everybody does this kind of differently. She didn't want to pick up her daughter right away when she started crying. But David and his mom both felt differently, and they didn't think that the baby, Crystal, should be able to cry it out for any amount of time, and they wanted her to be picked up right away and soothed. So on this particular night, Linda's mother-in-law picked up baby Crystal and rocked her to sleep. And Linda was upset and hurt that David's mom was questioning her parenting and kind of stepping in and, you know, overstepping her boundaries a little bit. So after David's mom had left sometime before 930, David and Linda continued having this argument about the way Linda parents their daughter. Sources state that David was admittedly a sensitive man, and the two of them ended up making up at the end of the night, and they went to sleep together in their bedroom. David alleges that he has insomnia on top of many other illnesses, and it was for that reason that he got back out of bed after his wife had fallen asleep. However, it wasn't really his insomnia that caused him to get up out of bed that night. He actually went into the room that Cinnamon and Patty were sleeping in, woke them up and said, you know, this is the night that I need you to kill Linda. So at this point, you know, he's put this idea into these girls' heads for years and years, and they already know, you know, what he's expecting and and what they're supposed to be doing. David, in the meantime, had actually already concocted a drug cocktail of prescription pills for cinnamon to drink before he woke her up. So the theory behind this co- this cocktail that he made her is really interesting and, you know, it brings on some questions about w- was he also trying to kill Cinnamon this night and have her kill Linda? 
But we're going to, of course, talk about all that a little bit later on. Once David was certain that his daughter was ready and she had ingested this drink, he embarked on a late night car ride to come up really with an alibi for himself. He leaves the house alone for about an hour and he drove to a nearby store and bought some snacks before heading back home. While David was gone, Cinnamon grabbed a 38 caliber pistol that her father provided for her, and without any hesitation, she went into her stepmother's room. She shot Linda in the chest one time while she was sleeping, but Linda didn't die after just that one shot. She was still bleeding out and was still breathing, so Cinnamon shot her a second time. After Cinnamon was sure that her stepmother was dead, she ran out of the house, and that left Patty, Linda's sister, there to be the one to meet David at the door when he was back. When David arrived back to the house, Patty indeed did meet him at the door while holding her niece, Crystal. This family dynamic is so confusing. It's a a lot of moving pieces. So both Patty and Crystal are crying and Patty's pleading with David to just call 911. At this point, of course, David knows that this murder has already taken place. An officer arrives to a really eerily quiet scene and from the outside of the house, nothing really seemed to miss. The responding officer had little information to work with. All he knew was that an informant called 911 stating that someone had been shot and that the suspect was no longer in the residence. As he approached the home, David came outside and told the officer that he thought his wife had been shot, but said he was really just too afraid to go check. Patty was inside sobbing while holding the baby. Okay, I'm not going to buy that you're, (laughs) excuse my Melissa tangent, that you think your wife has been shot and you're not going to check on her? That makes no sense at all. Yeah. Well, and the officer that first responded thought the same thing, was thinking, okay, well, maybe like, you know, maybe this isn't going to be as bad as, you know, as it could be. Because at this point he was like, oh, you know, thinking they already knew for sure. And then he got there and was like, well, let me go back and check. So it was, yeah, just very confusing, the whole story. Yeah, for sure. So the officer tells the two of them to sit in the living room while he goes back to the bedroom to check on Linda and really, like Mandy was saying, find out exactly what's going on because now the story is even more different. So in the bedroom, he found Linda lying on her back on the bed, suffering from gunshot wounds. He thought he heard Linda make a noise, but her vitals were showing no signs of life. At this point, the officer is really, really confused He remembered David saying that the victim was his wife, but they couldn't figure out who Patty was or why she was so cozy with David. And this question on everyone's minds of who had shot Linda was still yet to be answered. Paramedics soon arrived and began life-saving measures on Linda while investigators combed through the house looking for evidence. On the bedroom floor near Linda's body was a small revolver, but it was unclear whether or not that was the murder weapon. Investigators also discovered three empty prescription pill bottles and an empty glass in the laundry room on top of the dryer, and these items were all bagged and labeled as evidence. Linda was soon taken to a local hospital where the coroner came to pronounce her. She was just 23 years old at the time of her murder. Officers quickly tried to get a handle on the situation by asking about Everybody that's living in this house, they want to know what is the deal with the living arrangements. And they learned that David was married to Linda, who was the victim, and that the hysterical woman in the apartment was Linda's 17-year-old sister, Patty. The child she was actually holding was David and Linda's. And then they also learned that Cinnamon, who was his David's daughter from a previous marriage, also lived there. But she was nowhere to be found. Patty actually told the police that she believed Cinnamon was the one who had shot Linda. Supposedly, Cinnamon and Linda weren't getting along before all of this happened, and Linda had actually sent the 14-year-old girl to live out in a trailer that they had on the property as kind of a punishment for what they considered an inconsiderate attitude and constant bickering, you know, with Linda. So this whole case really seemed kind of like a slam dunk for the officers that had arrived after David had called them to the house. From the outside, it appeared that Cinnamon was just a really, really troubled young girl who wanted to seek revenge on her stepmother, but that really was not the case. The police searched the premises, and they could not immediately find Cinnamon, so they checked all of the windows and doors, and they didn't find any signs of forced entry, and David had told them that he left that night due to, you know, his insomnia and being unable to sleep. And because he couldn't take the constant arguing between his wife and his daughter anymore. So he says that's why he just left the house. The police checked out Cinnamon's trailer in the yard, but she wasn't there. 
they still have all these questions on their minds. Like if she was living in this trailer and she broke into the house, why wasn't there any sign, you know, forced entry? Did David leave the door unlocked when he went for this drive? They really had a lot of details they still had to figure out in this case. And we're going to talk about them after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. There are a few times in life when I feel like I have my act together. In fact, I can really only think of one. That one would be using Instacart to buy my groceries. I'd love to tell you that I order Instacart between running on the treadmill and creating all the things on Pinterest, but a lot of times I'm ordering Instacart while 90 Day Fiance hums in the background. Because honestly, some days I just need a break. I don't want to deal with the lines and the walking and the people. My gosh, the people. Instacart is there to help me make all of my introvert dreams come true. If you're not familiar with Instacart, here's what I did. I downloaded the Instacart app, picked out my grocery store from a list available to me in my area, and put in a quick order to be shopped for and delivered to my house by a friendly Instacart shopper. With Instacart, you can choose from local and national grocery stores in your area. The Instacart shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce, and if there are any issues with the order, they will contact you when necessary in the Instacart app, making it even easier. Instacart will deliver your groceries in as little as one hour or at a time you select. They bag them so your hot items stay hot and your cold items stay cold. Try Instacart and get $10 off in free delivery on your first order. To get this limited time offer, download the mobile app or go to instacart.com and enter our promo code MOMS10 at checkout. That's $10 off in free delivery on your first order today in the mobile app or at instacart.com. And don't forget to enter our code MOMS10. Life comes at you fast. But when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find that you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about the actual shooting of Linda and now the officers are there and they're really just trying to put together what's actually happened and who's living in this house and who's related to who and the relationships. It's really quite something. So David was questioned heavily during this investigation, but he really threw his daughter under the bus. He said, you know, Cinnamon's this angry child and she never really fit in with the family. And she, you know, had gone back and forth between her himself and her mom throughout her life, which is true, which also leads, you know, gives like credence to his story, right? That she had problems with her mom. So of course she's having problems with her stepmom. She really didn't seem to get along with either of her parents. And so when things would get bad with one of them or she would fight with them, she would just move out and go live with the other one. David explained that she had really been struggling in school and getting into fights at home with Linda, who was her stepmom, and Patty, her stepmom's sister. And so she had been sleeping out in this trailer on the property, but she would come inside to have meals and to watch television which is just hard to understand letting your child do that. Like where you have this family who's yeah. inside and enjoying each other's company. And then you have this young girl who's clearly going through some stuff and you're like, mm, but you can stay there. You can eat with us and I guess watch TV, but you need to really stay by yourself. She's so young. It's just, I don't know. It's just yeah. the whole thing is upsetting. It is really sad. Yeah. But it wasn't just David that alleged that Cinnamon could have been responsible for this shooting. Patty also told police that Cinnamon had been in a particularly bad mood that night, and she even asked Patty if she knew how to operate a gun. 
She claimed that Cinnamon really seemed anxious that something might happen, and Patty assumed that she was really just going to take the gun to her trailer for that night, which wasn't really unusual because the family had grown up owning and shooting guns, so Patty hearing this wasn't at all alarmed by this. She went to bed and left Cinnamon in the room watching TV. Patty then told police the most incriminating piece of information. She said that she had seen Cinnamon inside the house at the same time that she heard gunfire ring out later that night. Patty alleged that she woke up after the first gunshot and said that she, quote, instinctively looked at the clock and noted that it was 2.23 a.m. She then heard two more gunshots and saw Cinnamon fleeing the house. And I know it's weird that maybe she looked at the clock. I don't know about you, Mandy, but if I hear something weird like at night, anything like that. hundred percent. I look right? at the clock. Like I, but the best part is like, I look at the clock and I'm like, it's one forty-one. And then five minutes later, if you were to say, Hey, Melissa, what time was it when you heard that noise? You'd be like 12.05. I have no idea. Like I'm yeah. not going to remember <laughs> it. But in that moment, I'm like all detective, you know, in my room late at night, like <laughs> I'm going to remember this, that I'm going to need to say this in court. Um, but I forget it immediately. So it's not crazy to me that she she noted the time there. But really, there's just one problem because for all police know, Cinnamon herself could have been a victim of this crime because they still don't even know where she is. So yeah, they're saying Cinnamon, Cinnamon did this. We think that Cinnamon could have done this. Where is Cinnamon? Nobody knows. So it wasn't until the next morning that Cinnamon was actually found. She had actually never left the property. The police found her inside a doghouse that the Browns had in the backyard, clinging to her life. Attached to her person was a note that appeared to be written by Cinnamon. That note read, quote, Dear God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt her, end quote. Cinnamon was found laying in her own mixture of bodily fluids. She had vomited the drug cocktail she ingested earlier that night, and she was showing signs of an overdose. Quick question, how big is this property that... There's a shooting, there's a suspect, and there's a missing girl, right? They don't really know who the suspect is, but there is a missing girl. And nobody looks at the whole property? I thought that was very odd, too, that they, it took them so long to find her. Although I guess, I, I mean, I don't know. You would think they would check inside of a doghouse, especially for anyone to be hiding. But it does seem weird that they didn't find her faster. It's like hindsight is twenty twenty, But yeah, it is like she is a missing child, really. And also yeah. a suspect in this, but it's just bizarre that it was the next day and just the state that they found her in. A lot of sources state that if Cinnamon had not thrown up this, you know, this mixture of, of pills that she had taken, she most likely not would not be alive. And it seems interesting that, you know, her own father would try to kind of what was his, you know, end game with poisoning Cinnamon like that? Was he expecting to to kill her as well that night. Cinnamon was then arrested and taken to California Youth Detention Facility, which might kind of seem like a shocking move considering her condition, but she was somehow actually coherent enough to get in the back of a police car and ride and answer some basic questions along the way. Back at the police station, Cinnamon was interviewed and almost immediately confessed to this crime before they even read her her Miranda rights. One detective asked if she knew why she was there, and she said, quote, because I hurt Linda. Cinnamon was pretty out of it from these medications that she had nearly overdosed on, and she remained really being out of it throughout all of this questioning. She told the police that she remembered that she and Linda had a fight that night, and Linda had told her she hated her. And she also told the police about you know, the overall strained relationship that they had and that it was Linda, you know, who insisted that Cinnamon go and live in this trailer, but that she really, you know, deep down really wanted Cinnamon to just completely leave and go back to her mom's house. The police asked her how many shots she had fired that night and Cinnamon admitted to firing three shots. So this initial interview was actually cut short because Cinnamon started to, her blood pressure started dropping to dangerously low levels and she was kind of going in and out of consciousness. And so she had to be taken to a local hospital. And of course, I have so many opinions about this, that she was being questioned in this state. I'm surprised that their first move wasn't to take her immediately to a hospital. Right. All of this is just so, I feel different. And, you know, I, I said to Melissa that this case was from the 80s and they just did things a little bit differently. <laughs> you know, we've yeah. obviously advanced quite a bit when it comes to investigating crimes like this, you know, over the last 30 years. 
But it is kind of shocking some of these things that you see in cases that are a little bit older where, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we just found this 14-year-old girl in a doghouse. Let's take her right to the police station and start asking questions. Like that just – I don't feel yeah. like that would happen today. Right. So anytime after this that Cinnamon was questioned about the night of the murder over the next three years, she really stuck to her loyalty of her father and insisted that she just didn't really remember anything. During the trial, Cinnamon's lawyers attempted to plead insanity, but in September of 1986, the judge found her to be of sane state of mind, and she was actually sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. There was no proof, really, to link either Patty or David to this murder, and neither of them were arrested. The two of them teamed up to put the blame entirely on Cinnamon, and even while she was going through this trial and, you know, going through this whole court process... Her own father and Patty did not visit her in jail. Wow. Cinnamon underwent numerous psychological exams to determine her competency, and it was decided that she was neither psychotic nor depressed, and even though she was under 18 years old, she would be standing trial as an adult. Within six months after the murder, David cashed in on over $800,000 in life insurance money from his wife and went on to live a very lavish lifestyle. He was already doing well, so... You know, this was just, you know, the icing on the cake for him. He used this money to buy costly houses and he took expensive vacations. And in July of 1986, he went on to marry Patty, Linda's sister. Ugh. It's just so gross. It is. It's, yeah, I mean, there's really no other word for it, to be honest. I think you nailed that because it is so confusing to let your daughter take the fall for something you put in her head and ugh, I just don't get it. So the business that David had owned was really flourishing at this time and he was already making an annual income of over $175,000 a year. So this coupled with the life insurance money he received, I mean, you can just imagine the type of life that him and Patty were living, you know, with Cinnamon really out of the way. She's in jail. There was sort of a silver lining in this for Cinnamon, and that was that there was a detective on the case that went by the name of Jay Newell, and from the very beginning, he had thought there was just something off about this whole case. And according to Newell and other witnesses that met Cinnamon while she was in prison, this was a little girl who was really not vengeful or vindictive, and that Patty and her father had really made her out to be something that she, you know, nobody else was really seeing those qualities in her. Newell dug deeper into the evidence and found out that David had cashed in on this hefty life insurance policy after the murder and that he was also having this inappropriate relationship with a minor while he was married to Linda. Newell decided that it was time to confront Cinnamon at some point in 1988. He had confessed to her of her father's new wealth and this lavish lifestyle and told her that he had married her stepmother's sister. At this point, Cinnamon just didn't want to be the keeper of the family secret anymore. And with the help of this detective, she decided that she would set her father up and get him to incriminate himself on tape. So David began visiting Cinnamon occasionally in jail, and he would kind of bring her gifts and he would, you know, remind her about what she had done, kind of to let her know like, hey, don't forget, like you're supposed to just say you don't remember anything and still trying to manipulate her, you know, while she's in jail and he's on the outside living this life, he's still trying to get at Cinnamon and make sure that she, you know, she doesn't talk or doesn't say anything. Because up to this point, Cinnamon had really held to her word that she had no memory or recollection of what had happened. So after this conversation with Newell and they've made this decision to now catch David at these visits that she was having with her father, she had a tape recorder on her and it took several tries really to get enough evidence to reopen this case. But in September of 1988, David actually confessed on tape that if she were to tell the truth, if Cinnamon was to tell everyone the truth, all three of them would end up in jail. So Imagine that has to be such a big moment for her to realize like, oh my gosh, they finally have enough. Like he's really going to say it. And it's shocking to me. He would say it. I guess another thing we've talked about being in the eighties, like we know now everything's recorded when you're in jail anyway. (laughs) Right. But back then, why would he think that she would have a tape recorder on her? That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So it was because of this new tape that both Patty and David were arrested. 
David was convicted of first-degree murder for financial gain in September of 1990 and was ordered to serve out the rest of his life in prison. However, while David was waiting to be sentenced, he attempted to make friends with another inmate in jail, and he tried to convince this other inmate to kill Patty and two investigators that were working on the case, because that's never suspicious at all. So there are some sources that state that this man that he was befriending in jail was an undercover cop, and others said that he was actually confessing to someone who in turn told the cops of David's plan. Because this new information came to light that David was trying to have more people murdered, Patty, who was only 21 at the time, pled guilty to her involvement in the murder, but was only sentenced to remain locked up until she was 25 years old. So that's just four years. Cinnamon Brown was finally freed from prison sometime in 1992. She was around 21 years old when she was released, and she went on to really try to live as normal of a life as she could. Court records show that in 1993, Cinnamon went on to marry a man named Frank Padula. Frank was 25 years old at the time of their marriage. Fifteen years after Cinnamon and Frank married, Cinnamon was yet again met with another tragedy in her life. Her beloved husband had died by suicide. Patty, on the other hand, as we mentioned, only served four years in prison, and she actually ended up marrying one of the prison guards after she was released. David really tried to maintain his innocence in prison all the way up until March of 2014 when he succumbed to one of his many illnesses. He died at the age of 61 years old. And we also talked in this story about the young baby, Crystal, the daughter of David and Linda. She was actually placed with and raised by David's mother. When Crystal had actually inquired about what happened to her mother, Linda, she was told that Linda had died in a car accident. It wasn't until Crystal was 13 years old that the truth came out about the events that unfolded the night of her mother's murder. To date, Crystal has a Facebook page dedicated to her mother, Linda. She also grew up to become a writer. According to her post on Facebook, she really does not harbor any ill will towards Cinnamon or Patty for what they did, and she actually wants to connect with them. And there's really no sources that say whether or not they actually were able to all meet together. Wow. What? A crazy story. Yeah. I hate to use the word upsetting. I don't know what other word to use. What other word do you use? It is upsetting. Yeah. This is a, this one is really upsetting because there's so many crimes happening. There's just so much terrible stuff going on in this story all around, not just the murder, but everything that has, you know, gone on in these people's lives has just been just awful, you know, right from the start. It really is heartbreaking and yeah, upsetting. Manipulation of somebody you trust, somebody that's supposed to take care of you. I mean, man, it's it's just so much. Okay, Mandy, we are going to change gears and go into our last thing before we go. So Mandy, Constance A in our Facebook group wants to know, if there was a zombie apocalypse, would you survive? (laughs) Did you ever watch Walking Dead? I didn't watch Walking Dead, but I've seen lots of like zombie flicks, like um, World War Z and like a few other ones. Is it Zombie Land? What's the funny one? There's a funny uh, one I've seen. Yeah, that Simon one is funny. Peg. Of course I've seen that. What? <laughs> throwing <laughs> words out there like, of course I've seen that. I'd like that on the t-shirt for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you know I like spooky stuff, so I'm yeah, down with the true. zombie stuff. So anyway, um, <laughs> am I going to survive a zombie apocalypse? I'm going to have to go 100% no. I am not going to make it very long. I like to think that I would. And maybe I would make it, you know, if like everything just went crazy, zombies are all over, can't even go outside without getting attacked by a zombie. I feel like I might last for like a few hours maybe hiding. I'd be hiding the entire time, not trying to like fight them. Right. Um, I just don't know. I, I don't think I do. I don't think I have what it takes to – to win at a zombie apocalypse. And I'm not sure that I want to either. I just feel right? like What do you do then? Yeah, exactly. You just live the rest of your life like that. I don't know. Just turn me into a zombie too. I just I'm just I'm giving up early on. I'm not going to be f- out there fighting for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> well, imagine all the running you have to do. That just seems exhausting. And then there's going to be we live in Florida, so it's going to be mosquito crazy and I have to be outside hiding from zombies and not screaming every time I get bitten by a mosquito <laughs> and just am angry about that. There is nothing about any of that that appeals to me at any level. Um, if zombies came after me, I love this question. If zombies came after me and they could not get in my home, I could last until the food ran out. 
but I've seen The Walking Dead. They will get right into your house and they do not care. And I am not bright enough to figure out how to fight them. And I would scream. I'm very loud. And I'm afraid that you are too. And I don't say that in a negative way. (laughs) They're going to hear our voices 100%. And plus, in a zombie apocalypse, I assume you still have a podcast. So they're definitely going to hear us. I don't think we're going (laughs) to get away with this. So to answer your question, Constance, I mean, the fact that we're surviving today just in the regular world is a miracle. So zombie apocalypse, (laughs) we have no chance whatsoever. No. (laughs) I love that question, though. Thank you. So good, yeah. (laughs) Sydney K. in our Facebook group asked, basically, what brands have we found now that we have advertisers? Like, what do we really use? What do we really love? And of course, we love everything we talk about, but we want to talk about the main ones that, like, we didn't know about before, right, Mandy? There's some, I would have never probably bought a pair of Rothy's right off the bat, like without knowing somebody that used them. And I'm obsessed with them. And I know you are too. And we wear them. I wear them all the time. I wear them a disgusting amount of times. (laughs) They're my go-tos. Yeah, they really are for me too. And um, and like whenever I just like need to wash them, I just, I really do just throw them in the washing machine. But yeah, there are products that we do, you know, we have sponsors that, you know, I mean, everything they say in their ads is so true and we love all their stuff. And yeah, I've discovered like a lot of new things and Rothy's is definitely on the top of the list. I love them. I use them all the time. I love my away luggage. I've yes. used it so many times and it's just, it really is the best suitcase I've ever had. It keeps all my stuff nice and organized. It really is lightweight and I love it, but I wouldn't have known. I don't know what the first thing about luggage. I always just get whatever is on sale or right. cheap at wherever I am. And um, I didn't really understand the value in having nice luggage. So now I do. So that's kind of something that's been cool that I learned and figured yeah. out. What else, Melissa? Oh, man. Well, HelloFresh is great. I love Oh, my gosh. Yes. We do sound like it's a giant advertisement, but somebody legitimately <laughs> did ask us this question. I would like to point that out. And no one's asked us this before. So just enjoy that we're telling you the truth. But yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> HelloFresh is great. Um, the beta brand pants that we have now, I love those. Those are awesome. And they're long uh-huh. and they really are comfortable and they look good. Because I've had some like yoga-ish dress pants and I was like, mm, nope, looks like I'm wearing yoga pants. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't put <laughs> lipstick on a pig and tell me it's a, what is that? What is that phrase? I started it and I knew I wasn't going to be able to finish it. <laughs> I hope you've never come heard to that me. before. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to figure it out. Can't put lipstick on a pig and call it. Oh, no, I don't know. Maybe I made it up. (laughs) I'm concerned. (laughs) Yeah. So I think those are the ones I can think of right off the bat. Of course, the third love bras. I hate talking about bras like in a conversation that people are hearing because that means you're talking about your chest and I don't want to do that. But it really is comfortable. We wear them, you know, you have to, we wear bras and therefore if I'm going to wear a bra, I love it. And that's another thing I always bought really, really cheap and never really cared about. And I love that one. Like it's great. Yeah, I know. I re- There's been so many things that we have gotten to kind of be introduced to and try out. I love the function of beauty shampoo and conditioner. Yeah. I love that whole experience. But a lot of these things like, yeah, we just didn't even know they existed. You know, we got introduced to Songfinch who wrote us our yes, song, yes, which yes. is now I always keep that in my mind for a gift idea. If I have somebody that I need to find a gift for that I want something really special. But I use the sponsors just you know, like just for those purposes too, like to give people are like, Oh, I, you know, want to try this out. And I'm like, well, I will buy it for you. And like, it's really, it's been cool. It's been, it's given me gift ideas. It's given me ideas for things for myself. And yeah, Yeah. I just, I love them all. I mean, we really do try to pick, you know, we try to do, we try to pick sponsors that are relatable to us and hopefully to you guys too. So yeah, we really are being genuine (laughs) and saying that we do love this stuff. We do. And then we've done it for a while. So we kind of we know enough now to be like, we're not doing it unless we like it. Not in like a snobby way, but like, we're not going to tell you guys about something that we don't actually like ourselves. And so that works out really, really nice. And we have Bombas now. I'm so excited about Bombas. You guys don't even know. I'm losing my mind over Bombas. (laughs) And it's like, I told Mandy, I was like, my only dream in starting this podcast was that I wanted to get Bombas socks. And my dreams have come true. And she told me I should reach higher, but I really am happy here. (laughs) Okay, before we go, a couple quick things. The Charleston meetup is this Saturday, which is the 
26th. When you're listening to this, this comes out on the 22nd. It will be October 26th. We will have the information in our show notes. If you didn't know about it already, you really don't have a whole lot of time to plan this. Mandy, unfortunately, will not be able to make it, but I will be there. And I'm like Mandy, except for I'm taller and people like me a little less. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also there will be Southern Fried True Crime, Trace Evidence, Pleasing Terrors, Something's Not Right podcast, Flat Rock, Pretend, Unresolved, Already Gone, and I Got a Special and Melissa with Moms and Murder at the end of the invite, which made me feel very cool, but also sad because it didn't just say Moms and Murder, so Mandy won't be there. Um, So anyway, yeah, that's on that Saturday, the 26th. Nobody is going to miss a thing. I will insert you in photos if you would like, and I don't think you would like that. It would be really bad. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to FaceTime you and just act like I'm by myself and then show you a group of people, Um, but I shouldn't have told you that. Also, we are going, (laughs) we're getting a little slap happy. It's very hot where I'm recording right now. Also, we are going to play a promo from our friend CK with Mirsa Monsters, but it's not for Mirsa Monsters. It's for his new show, which is not like Mirsa Monsters, but he's such a good storyteller and he does all these voices. And I don't want to explain it because I listened to the promo again and I cannot explain it. He does such a great (laughs) job. Well, it's so like he does the perfect job. And if I start to tell you, you're going to be like, what? And if he tells you, you'll be like, oh. And that's how I want it to be. So <laughs> that's awesome. going to be it. Yeah, so make sure you guys check out that. And Mandy, what's our new outro that we accidentally made? See you next week. Same oh, time. dang it. Yeah, Same something place. <laughs> new story or something like that. Oh, gosh. Uh, you got me now. there. You put me on the spot. <laughs> I, I tried. I was trying to set you up. All right. Have a great week, guys. And we will see you next week. Same time, same place, different story. I nailed it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Alcatraz opened in 1934. I arrived in 1935, and I'm still here. I'm Charlie the Bagman Baglin, and I'm dead. Tune in every fortnight to hear about some of the nastiest inmates The Rock has had. Learn about Alcatraz, about me, and the fun I have with ghost hunters. I'm behind you, Baggins. Episode 1 is about Al Capone, the banjo playing, tax dodging numpty. Join me, Charlie, from the 6th of October on Infernal Souls and Eternal A-Holes. Available on ACAST, Spotify and most other podcast players. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.